Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening, I'm Tony Kinnett. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast. Let's get right to it. U.S. Capitol Police today stopped a potential shooter outside of Union Station near the U.S. Senate building. Uh, This individual was carrying an AR-15 and giving everyone, let's say, quite the uncomfortable time. So U.S. Capitol Police arrested the individual. You're not supposed to have firearms very up close to federal buildings, especially given the situation of unrest with pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas protesters in Washington, D.C. Now, usually when there is a potential shooting or an active shooting that's taking place, Uh, We are very quick to find out all different things about the individual, uh, especially if the individual is white, especially if the individual has some kind of an insane, mentally unstable manifesto in which they go on and on about white supremacist nonsense, etc. However, there is no manifesto that's been released. We don't even know the name of the suspect in the U.S. uh, capital situation. Uh, All we have is this picture. Moving right along. Breaking election news, polls have closed in Indiana at 6 p.m. We do not have the results all in just yet. Patience. Patience, my friends. You'll be disappointed soon enough, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that later on the show today. This I got just for you. Democrat Representative Jasmine Crockett says that black voters are becoming less supportive of Biden because their feelings are dictating their reality, and they're not understanding how any of this works. Take a listen. Here's the deal. Perception is reality. And so when you look at the data that was provided in this poll, it talks about how people feel. And when people decide whether they're going to the poll or whether they're not going to to the poll, it's all about how you feel in that moment. And so while the facts may not align with their feelings, their feelings are dictating their reality. Their reality is that they said that they feel better or they felt better when Trump was in office. But we've been trying to push back. We've got some very popular African-American artists that are out here saying things like, oh, I got checks when Trump was in office. I want those checks again, not understanding that that really came from Congress. Mm. So we've got a couple of things, the perception issue. And then we also have an issue as it relates to civics in this country and people not understanding exactly how any of this works. By all means, try this strategy out. Tell an entire group of individuals that they're too stupid to separate their feelings uh, from what they see with their very own eyes and pay for with their very own wallets. Best of luck to you. Google's 100% battery electric vehicle, a very nice, beautiful, new, industrious bus, the hailing mark of a new century of travel, lost uh, power on a hill in San Francisco and fell backward and crashed into a bunch of cars. Here's what that looked like. (laughs) 
Well, if that just isn't the electric vehicle revolution tied up into one beautiful video. Electric vehicles can be fantastic. We do not have the infrastructure for them. And by the way, if you build an electric vehicle, uh, make sure that you build the brakes properly. Uh, if something loses power, probably want to be able to stop. Finally, ABC7 in California reported that an elderly Jewish man died after a confrontation with a pro-Palestinian protester in the Westlake Village. Now, that sounds like that can mean any number of things, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like they uh, just had a polite conversation, maybe, and, and things just went wrong, and later that evening, the old man suffered a heart attack. Only, that's not what happened at all. Paul Kessler, an elderly Jewish man, was committing the heinous act of walking home when he was beaten to death with a megaphone by a pro-Palestinian protester. You know, these pro-Hamas acts of violence and anti-Semitism, like when the lady in Indianapolis desperately tried to drive through what she thought was a Jewish school. And ABC7 covered this as, oh, it's just a, a confrontation. You guys know confrontations, right? Like when a JFK had a slight confrontation with Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle, or uh, when the United States had a slight confrontation with the Japanese on Pearl Harbor. It's absolutely ridiculous, and news headlines have been changing all day because, fun fact, when the Ventura Sheriff's Office analyzes the autopsy and says, this individual was not just beaten to death, but there is no other explanation for this individual's demise other than being repeatedly beaten, it's kind of hard to argue that certain things are just a confrontation. Anti-Semitism is running rampant and will continue to do so as long as media continues to promote Hamas and claim that Israel is just as bad. And we'll be talking about that up next with Julio Rosas, who dropped everything and went over to Israel and whose reporting ended up debunking the entire nonsense when Hamas tried to claim that Israel bombed a hospital. We'll be talking about that up next on the Tony Kennett cast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. I'm Tony Kinnett, joined this evening by Julio Rosas, a Marine veteran and a guy who follows chaos to the T. He picked up everything, left a lot of his work over at townhall.com and traveled to Israel in the outset of the uh, Israeli-Hamas conflict after the Hamas massacre of the Israeli civilians, women and children and played a very crucial role in breaking down a lot of the misinformation that started to come to the top uh, around the uh, Gazan Baptist Hospital explosion. A lot of that mess. Julio, thanks for joining us this evening. Yep, thanks for having me. So obviously your background is is just seeking after chaos. It kind of reminds me of a Marine advertisement that played over the last decade, which is that a lot of people run away from conflict, they run away from trouble. But when it comes to Marines, Marines run toward the conflict, they run toward the trouble because they're going to do something about it. And that fits a lot of what your career has been when it comes to investigative journalism. Uh, I'm more likely to uh, perhaps go talk to an administrator to kind of dig up legal documents. Uh, but when it comes to you, you're like a riot hunter. You're a rally hunter. So uh, let me break some of these down. Obviously, we know about the, the BLM 
riots in 2020 that you were covering as the fires were burning down behind you uh, in the back of the video. What were some of the other earlier riots and rallies that you covered? So when I started out my career, and it really, I really started investing in 2015, 2016. So the protest aspect was learning how to do uh, that type of coverage while combining Twitter. Um, cause that's, that's how I kind of saw where, because that's where people go to and breaking news events. So yeah, I covered the protests at the breaks. RNC and DNC. Uh, but the first actual riot that I covered prior to 2020 was when I first started out after I got a job in Washington, DC to begin my journalism career after dropping out of college was the, uh, was Charlottesville. Ah, the uh, very so, fine people hoax protest. Yeah, and and so that was kind of the start of one. I like doing that type of coverage, and then two, this is how I would do it. And so by the time twenty twenty came along, I already had some experience. Obviously, that was on a different level. It was more intense. It was longer, but it wasn't. wasn't my the, first. The fires were a little more intense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and so that's, uh, but don't get me wrong. I still had a lot to learn in 2020, but I had a good base to, to start off with once everything kind of unraveled back then. Sure. So, uh, the, these are the kinds of things that, that we've seen, you know, that the rally is going on, the riots happening, uh, and your instinct is to go into it and deliver what's going on because what we see right now. Uh, and I'm talking from George Mason University releasing statements about uh, pro-Hamas protesters to the Maui uh, County government and the Hawaiian state government regarding uh, the, the Maui wildfires and how FEMA was uh, doing certain things here, there, and everywhere else. Or whether you're looking internationally, whether it's the German government, the Israeli government, uh, the Palestinian Authority releasing statements. And there's this weird media legacy tendency to just trust the press releases of the side that you like, right? and just kind of take those as gospel and then leave everything else alone. They may have a reporter that's standing, I don't know, 2,000 miles away from whatever's going on and they have their microphone and they've got their bulletproof vest on and the helmet and they're reporting on it, but it's like they're reporting from so far away. But yet that's not what we do. You know, we get in there, you especially with this Israel situation, uh, you were in an area that started to immediately uh, undergo a rocket attack. It's kind of surrounding uh, right before the Gazan Baptist Hospital explosion. And it was some of your reporting that immediately put a lot of people uh, kind of on edge concerning this initial Palestinian report. So kind of walk us through what went what went down, where were you, what happened, and kind of what was going through your head. So I was on the outskirts of a town called Strodot. It's, um, it's a decent-sized town. It's not a city, but it's, it's a decent-sized town that's right next to uh, the Gaza Strip, and so it, it was. It was heavily attacked during during the the events on October seventh, and so at, at six fifty nine p.m. local time, we got an alert through their rocket alert system and also on the on the app that that we had to go into the shelter, into the bomb shelter. So myself and IDF soldiers and a couple other journalists, we had to, we had to go in there and. Uh, Typically, what what was happening was whenever there's a rocket attack, it's usually uh, concentrated in one location in one area. But sure. that night, they were they were they were firing so many rockets in so many different directions. And even once we got the all clear and we walked out of the shelter, uh, we could still see rockets being fired to our north. And then about an hour later, that's when we started to see the immediate reports of Israel bombs hospital. Five hundred people are killed. 
Well, let's and stop right away. Let's dig into yeah. that report because yeah. that's what's really weird. Um, with with your background and my background, when you start talking about how to file a report like that to reveal that kind of information, they had a death toll, an amount of damage, like ready to go. And and if you're considering that this was an area that was struck by rocket fire, I mean, you would you would have to kind of know where that was going to happen to have people immediately on the scene. That's to release a statistic at, at a level of detail like that is. That's like unheard of, right? And and so right away, I just, it just it did not make a whole lot of sense. And then once uh, you know, another hour or so, hour and a half later, that the report started emerged that actually it was a misfired rocket. I mean, that to me just made a whole made a whole lot more sense because well, but the Palestinians, you know, they, they said it was a JDAM, that it was an American uh, JDAM with an explosive package uh, with it that had you know decimated that area but then daylight pops up and then all of a sudden it, it looks like a miniature golf crater more in you know more in line with one of those pea shooter palestinian rockets instead of a jade i mean i don't know if you ever saw you know when you were in basic training or over in the sandbox if you ever saw a demonstration of an arms package delivered by jdam dude that is that'll wipe an area clean then boy that'll dig a swimming pool right and 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 that's why they, the people that blamed the IDF, they had to backtrack because initially they were using one video that caught the sound of the incoming projectile, and and they were saying, ah, this this sounds like a JDAM. I was just the sound, you, yeah, you, you can't. <laughs> the there's so many experts, reasons why that sounds yeah, like a JDAM. It, you can't. There's so many reasons why you can't rely on sound alone to be, to identify a munitions packers like that. But uh, so then, yeah, daylight comes and there's like three cars that are completely totaled. There's that small crater. The, the the building got superficial damage. The actual hospital itself was still standing. So, I mean, some glass blown and, in, like a lot of burn victims. It, it, and like and so don't get me wrong. People did die in that in, in that case. But but it, it, the, the, the area, I mean, unless they're standing shoulder to shoulder at that exact moment, there's no way 500 people would have been taken out uh, in, in, in that space alone. So. It, it they they've since had to change their theory and say well actually it was a, it was an artillery shell and 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 the analysis was conducted by people who are connected to Hamas or connected to uh, unscrupulous actors so to speak but right. but that's why it was important and and you know of course I had no idea none of us knew that something like that was going to happen but I just right that that was the whole point of me being there is because when there is chaotic situations it's just better to have eyes on the ground somewhere and. Of course, the media is blaming fog of war, which is no fog of war is not just automatically parroting a terrorist group's right. claims. That's and, just and, bad journalism. And all of a sudden, Israel suddenly decides to start operating in a totally different way than they have, and and be inaccurate in their strikes. I mean, when has Israel when has Israel ever missed the building that they were attempting to strike? Aside from that, we've got about forty five seconds left here. Uh, Obviously, you've developed an individual brand for going and reporting on chaos. And again, as someone who went to Maui and covered a lot of that on the ground, there does seem to be a lot of desire among the general population of the world for following individuals who are going to post things kind of as they're happening. What are you seeing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's because uh, a lot of the news media organizations, they've lost the trust of the public for good reason. And I think definitely, I mean, that's why I launched my Substack, juliorosas.substack.com, uh, just because I, I've noticed a trend where people no longer want to get their news from an organization alone. They want to get it from people. And, and obviously, there's, a, there's a, a big desire to get the news from people who are directly right there and have proven themselves 
uh, over the years. And so, um, I've, I, I've done that as long as, as long as I've been in journalism and I hope to continue to do that. But people support. Absolutely. Julio Rosas, uh, thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Uh, good luck following the chaos. Hopefully there's a little bit less chaos for you to follow. You are listening to the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Go, 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 go. And on this count of three, is the Tony go, Kennett go, Cast go, on 93 WIBC. It is election night once again, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Yeah, bring on the cheering. Bring on the confetti. There are some phenomenal candidates on the ballot today that people have cast their vote for all over the country. And there are really amazing people to vote for in every single state except for Indiana. We had some candidates on the ballot, and don't get me wrong, there are a few truly excellent candidates out there. They are very few and far in between. John Stair is running unopposed for mayor in Zionsville, and early congratulations to him. The Republican candidate was a phenomenal news anchor for several decades before WTHR Channel 13 went down the tubes and then some. Uh, He's a phenomenal man, and honestly, uh, not exactly a high bar to jump after the former Zionsville mayor, Democrat, says the F-bomb a lot. And so looking for some great stuff out of him. Unfortunately, not everyone else seemed to follow being a decent candidate. Because here in Indiana, we follow the classic 1992 model of electing Republicans. Now let me explain. The 1992 model of electing Republicans is built off of Newt Gingrich's powerhouse model coming out of the Cold War that worked really, really well. And it functioned like this. You raise a lot of money so that you can put your names in the newspapers and on radio ads and so that you can paste your face everywhere for name recognition. Then you send out a huge crew of people to go door to door and say, hi, are you voting for candidate ABC? Candidate ABC is a super great candidate who stands up for his community. And by gee golly, he just really wants to serve you in office. And then when you get on the debate stage, if you get on the debate stage, you simply project yourself as a calm, respectable vision for the future. And then when you get into office, sure, you may not have had any plans of actually what to do with the city. Sure, there may be decades of festering sadness and bureaucratic nightmares driven by a bunch of disjointed garbage that's only going to get worse. But you're going to keep taxes low, probably. You're going to keep doing what the candidate before you did because that's what Republicans did for years and it worked. And when I spoke to Newt Gingrich a couple of months ago, I asked him if this was still a viable model of getting Republicans elected. Because in the battleground states, Republicans don't run like this anymore. Even in some states that were previously red safe havens, for example, Texas, Republicans have stopped running in these ways. Because when you go up against the modern Democrat party in a state with any kind of an opposition presence, you lose. It turns out that it is true. Nice guys do finish last. Now, I didn't say that clean-cut and articulate candidates finish last, nor did I say that to win you need to throw fists around like Mike Tyson at an opening belt brawl. But you do need to fight. Again, this is the idea of, of cultural competence coming into play. 
Newt Gingrich told me that it's more of a pipe dream, kind of an old men's club for Republicans just to go around pretending that they can try the same tried and true 1992 strategies and come away with an election. This is what the Indiana GOP is currently doing, because there's not really any reason for them to change. Innovation only comes through competition. We see this time and time again in every single area of the market. We're seeing this now burgeoning for the first time as school choice becomes a nationwide thing. Public schools are starting to revamp their strategies in order to make themselves an appealing choice as parents are pulling their kids out of these mediocre and languishing environments to put their kids in somewhere better. That's why you see schools, let's just pick one out of, uh, let's say Newcastle Public Schools has recently changed the name of Sunnyside Elementary to the Sunnyside Education Center to make it look like they're innovating. Innovation only comes when things are challenged. And Indiana Republicans aren't challenged. No one really cares about the primaries. They're really hand-picked candidates. And so you get this very weird environment in which the Indiana Republican Party is still campaigning like it's the 80s and the early 90s. And it's kind of starting to not work. So the easiest mayoral elections in history to win right now are in Carmel and Indianapolis proper. In Indianapolis proper, you have Joe Hogsett, who even has Democrats frothing at the mouth in anger over his garbage safety policies. You have entire police departments, federations of police. You have blocks of ethnic and minority group owners and Hispanic voters, as well as uh, black voters who are completely fed up with this kind of garbage. And all we had to do, all we had to do to win this election was get a decent candidate across the line. And who came up to bat? Straight out of 1992, super rich Jefferson Shreve, who was going to do whatever his Chicago Bureau advisor told him to do. And so Joe Hogsett put out an ad that said, Jefferson Shreve is against gun control. He's for AR-15s in every hand. That's terrible. And so Jefferson Shreve changed his policies. Joe Hogsett ran an ad saying that Jefferson Shreve was for banning abortion. Don't vote for Shreve. And so Shreve backpedaled and changed his political opinions on abortion. Again, both of those things, mayoral issues, no. Both of those things are state policy issues. Yet here we are watching Republicans run the same kind of clean cut, gee happy, gee willikers friendly campaign where they just don't want to be too crazy. Just that middle of the road, good shucksy doodles candidate. And so the two candidates got on stage and Shreve embarrassed himself again by not pressing Joe Hogsett on where he was the night of the riots when he left the city to no one in particular as block after block burned down downtown. This is the same kind of garbage that we're seeing across the state. Look at Sue Finkham against Miles in Carmel. Miles is a phenomenal trash heap. He knows nothing about statistics, social policy, or governing the city of Carmel, yet Sue Finkham can't seem to get that across on a debate stage. And Sue Finkham shouldn't have been running as a Republican in the first place. This was the same woman who complained that road construction signs were sexist because they said men at work. No, that's not a joke. She actually complained like someone asking for a manager at a soup restaurant, that the men at work signs at construction sites were too sexist. This is the same Sufinkum that endorsed and celebrated the local pride event. You know, pride events and parades, the LGBTQ plus events where dudes show their bare junk to children. 
This should not be a Republican in an Indiana election. Shreve should not be a Republican in an Indiana election. We should be putting forth candidates that are based on principles, that are willing to get out there and fight for you, that are willing to get out there and throw a punch, a well-timed punch, a punch that packs data-driven examples and the quotes of their opponent against them. These should be well-calculated. They should be strategic. They should have the understanding that they are fighting for the lower, middle, and upper classes of the state of Indiana. You do not have to choose one or the other in these races. There are a lot of issues to drive on. God knows that Indiana's coal power plant should be converted over to nuclear. God knows that our transportation system is an abject mess and a nightmare. God knows that the city safety everywhere from Gary down to Indianapolis is an absolute mess. And everyone knows that the weird subsidies to organizations ranging from Amazon to Eli Lilly aren't in the best interest of the state. And yet here we are, because we continue to suffer mediocrity. So therefore, it's a good thing that the Indiana GOP is losing control of its party year after year to the populists. And I'm not a populist. As a traditional conservative, all I can say is that if the Indiana GOP continues its weird, nonsensical process of running elections like it's 1992, hoping that enough donations get them across the line, Brad Chambers, then we are going to end up losing an election to Democrats. And once voters choose a Democrat candidate, things get a heck of a lot worse from there. You're listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Well, hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. You might just perchance occasionally hear the sound of my daughter running around in the background throughout the house. She's having a fantastic time. Uh, She's 21 months old, and we're trying this revolutionary, crazy new parenting strategy called not raising her on an iPad. And interestingly enough, that means that she has a lot more energy It means that she runs around the house shouting. She reads a lot of books, in fact, all the time. We're not prompting her even to to read books anymore at this point. She just grabs something off the shelf and either runs around the house smacking us in the legs with the book to tell us book, book, book in order to read it to her. Or my personal favorite, she'll find one of her mother's 856,000 throw pillows that she's scattered around the house, plop down on the floor hold the book nine times out of 10 upside down and read it casually. I don't even read that casually. It's fantastic. And it's truly amazing to see the development of a child without the iPad's involvement. And that's not something that I'm saying kind of casually or perhaps in a gauche fashion. It is truly essential in this day and age to take a notice when a child is raised with an iPad or without. And I'm not saying that as some type of a parenting expert who's trying to tell you, well, you really should consider raising your kids in this particular way. This is my first time around raising kids. It's my first time around with toddlers. But we do have friends of the family that put their kids in front of a tablet. And we have friends of the family whose kids are not in front of a tablet. And when we get together with those friends of the family and we watch the kids interact, it is beyond bizarre 
to watch the difference between the kids who do not spend all day in front of a screen and the kids who spend all day watching YouTube kids shows or whatever other kind of streaming service your kids plop down in front of. It's just bewildering. The the social stinting is obvious. They don't connect with the other kids. Their attention span is maybe two and a half seconds long, rivaling that of the North American or the North Atlantic goldfish. I cannot put my finger on it, but there's just some kind of an energy that comes from kids who have to look around their world in order to divine entertainment. They have a better language development syntax based on the research and and what we've discovered so far from the science of reading. And I would encourage you to start looking into the initial studies that are starting to come out about children who are being raised in front of an iPad and kids who are being raised more traditionally. Now, traditionally doesn't mean uh, completely crunchy, hippie. Oh, today they're making their own butter and tomorrow we're scouting out wild African honeybee nectar. No, our daughter watches TV. Uh, She really enjoys Bear in the Big Blue House, so much so that I've had to learn how to do the voice of the bear on the Big Blue House. And... uh, so many other old shows, I would say, that we've you know allowed her to watch from time to time. Kids should occasionally watch a little bit of TV with what their parents are watching. Uh, but also, we take her on a lot of walks, and when she's in the stroller, she doesn't have an iPad. She talks to herself. She talks to us. She tries out the same word that she's been practicing at least 436 times in a row. And there are these other minute differences that I don't know. I just really wanted to share with you guys. When I've seen these iPad kids eat, it's so mindless. It's almost zombie like these, these children and there are videos all over the internet concerning this are sitting in front of this iPad, watching whatever weird unscripted YouTube kid series that their parents didn't pick out. Uh, Because even if you sit your kid with an iPad and you're like, Oh, I'll only allow them to watch good content. Yeah, technology and structuring that around what a kid can and can't watch is never going to work when the kid has access to their own device. I have yet to see a filter that a kid cannot get around. So the kids sitting in front of the table with their food in front of them, those dinosaur chicken nuggets that kids know and enjoy, and while they're watching the iPad, their wrists go limp and they just kind of mindlessly bring the food to their mouth. Uh, there's, There's no choice in engagement and what it is that they're eating. There's no uh, audio or visual connection to the sounds coming from the food or the drink at the table or or perhaps at the island if your kid's, you know, sitting up on the stool eating with you. And the difference in other kids who are eating just with family or even by themselves is incredible. Um, my daughter is obsessed with sauces and dipping things, everything, everything on earth in sauces. She is a true Midwesterner. We're we're very proud. We sat her down at a meal a couple of weeks ago in which uh, a young boy her age was eating, and he's an iPad kid. And normally he eats in front of a screen. But at our house, uh, we don't have screens in the kitchen except for a little Google Home that usually has a clock on it. And our kids were sitting there eating, And our daughter was just happily, you know, 
having a good time talking, laughing, trying to get other people's attention to talk to her while she was eating and dipping things in the sauces and enjoying those. And the boy was sitting there kind of deadpan and didn't quite know what to do. And there was this frustration that started to kind of leak over into his brow where he was so clearly missing something in front of him that he almost didn't know how to grab the food. And the reason that this is so crucial, the reason that I'm bringing this up is that the habits that are built at this age are so foundational to the development of the child that therapy will never be able to put a dent in habits learned at this age. Because at that age, children are not just behaviorally adapting to habits. They're not even just physically through things like muscle memory adapting to those uh, individual issues or uh, building habits just based on memory and sensory function, but they are neurochemically divining hormonal release schedules and what hormones are released based on the habits that they are engaging with. And in the first couple of years of life is when your kid is going to discover the quote unquote talents that they have have been given. These are when those hungers are, are put into place. These are when things are spurned. This is when nature and nurture combine to create a, an entire human person. And by putting your kid in front of an iPad, again, putting completely aside what is on the iPad, what's in front of them, uh, what's being streamed to them that you have next to no control over, your child is developing a series of neurochemical triggers and receptive responses based on the fact that a screen is in front of them and is providing dopamine, is controlling the release of serotonin, is controlling all other kinds of regulatory hormones that can even affect things like the heartbeat. There's a recent study that came out of Northwestern that suggests that there may be a link to adolescent heart palpitations based on the amount of blue light from a close set screen in the early to toddler years. And again, we just don't know about some of these things because kids haven't had these things in their hands long enough since 2009, 2010, when the iPad started coming around in order to make these kind of accurate assessments based on peer reviewed research. So, Think about it just a little bit. A lot of listeners don't have kids. A lot of listeners already have kids out of the house. Maybe a lot of you guys have kids and they may be in that iPad age range. If you're thinking about it, I know it's an easy out. But be careful because we do not yet know just how bad it's going to be. But the results so far aren't pretty. That about wraps it up. I'm Tony Kinnett. Christ is King. We'll see you tomorrow. You have been listening to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC.